Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Hello and welcome back. It's amazing to be back and I'm so happy to be launching the rebranded show. The format is going to remain the same, so we're going to have interviews with experts from the industry, also with some key topical items from me as well mixed into that, and you'll have noticed we've now got this snappy new intro. You will have noted the new brand and the name for the show, and basically the reason for that is because I've exited Avid. So I've sold the business now, and I've moved on to new ventures. I wish Turntide, the company that bought Avid, all the best. It's fantastic that they've been able to bring Hyperdrive and Avid back together into one stable again, and also bring that huge investment to the northeast of England. So what about me? Well, I'm working with some really exciting companies now in the EV and power electronics space. I've been helping to create an amazing new power electronics, motors and drives research and development centre right here in the northeast, and I'll have more on that for you in a later episode. I'm also working with a really exciting company who have a a novel torque centre technology that we can apply into electric motors to help improve efficiency, safety and reliability, and I've got more on that coming in a future episode as well. I've been helping to develop a semiconductor business, and that's a really exciting space at the moment. Obviously, lots in the press with semiconductor shortages and things going on in that space, and we've got some really exciting technology there. And I'm also working with some major vehicle tier ones um, to write down to smaller companies, but all in the EV space, helping people with product strategy, development, technology commercialization, and business scale-up. So... In the EV world, and in fact in the world in general, an awful lot has happened since I last released an episode. Just when you think there can't be any more big news, there's another huge release. And it got to the point where there was massive releases every week. It seemed to quieten down a bit, but, you know, it feels like it's coming and coming and coming more and more now. Way, way back in podcast episode 8, so when we were just getting started... I did a whole episode about the benefits of multi-motor drive systems. All the way back then, there really weren't very many cars that were offering that in production. So you had some pretty exotic stuff where where there were multi-motor drive systems like the Rimac, the Concept 1, that used four motors, one in each corner. The Neo EP9, again, multi-motor drive system. But on normal cars, or even sort of uh, high-end normal cars, it wasn't really a thing. But we've now got vehicles coming into the market uh, which are are much more conventional. So in the US, you've got Rivian with their pickup trucks and and SUVs. They use a multi-motor system. Um, Tesla on the Plaid model, that's got two motors at the rear, one motor at the front. So that's getting in now into that sort of full multi-motor space, torque vectoring from that rear axle. And there are many, many more vehicles coming. There's a really interesting uh, hybrid car from Honda that's got two motors in the front. Um, Again, they're using the torque vectoring. So it's now becoming a much, much more common thing. So Recommend if you're interested to learn more in torque vectoring. I'm not going to uh, repeat all of that again and the benefits of multi-motor drive. So go back and look at episode eight. I'll put some links down in the notes uh, below. I think one of the more important vehicles to have been announced recently is the Ford F-150. 
So that might have a few people go, oh, well, what? Why is the F-150 important? Well, the F-150 is important for a few reasons. First of all, it's one of the most popular, best-selling uh, vehicles in the world. You know, and, and it's hard, actually, as a European to kind of recognize that because we don't get them over here, or certainly not in the UK anyway. They're quite an unusual sight. But obviously in the US and South America and other parts of the world, F-150s are really, really common sight, particularly in the US, where it's actually the most popular vehicle bar any uh, which is sold. So F-150, it's absolutely massive. Uh, it's part of Ford's new Literally, it's a massive vehicle, but it's massive news because it's such a huge part of Ford's product lineup. And for a long time, actually, to be honest, Ford weren't really getting it or didn't seem to be getting it in terms of the EV space. But now, you know, I guess you could say with Tesla going with a Cybertruck, you've got Rivian coming, want to eat their breakfast um, and their lunch and their dinner. You know, Ford really have had to do something. So they've launched the F-150 and, and it's really interesting. The drivetrain on it's interesting. The performance is interesting. They had uh, the US president, Joe Biden, in it, uh, made a real big splash with it. It's the first uh, Ford pickup truck to have independent rear suspension. And basically, they've done that to make it easier to engineer in the electric drive unit, which is going to be mounted solid to the vehicle frame. And uh, that's quite a big difference. In normal pickup trucks don't have uh, independent suspension. Obviously, the Rivian does, but that's not exactly a normal pickup truck. Um, normal pickups don't have independent suspension. They tend to have a solid axle. And you can get e-axle units, which we're starting to see more and more coming in commercial vehicles. And really interestingly, Magna recently showed and, and launched an e-axle for this kind of size of pickup. So like the same kind of size that the F-150 is and, uh, and those kind of size of commercial vehicles. Now, I had thought initially that this might have been going to go into the F-150 when I first saw it. Magna, not normally the kind of company who launch speculative things like this. So I would say they've probably got a really clear initial target application and customer that they're developing that for. So it's going to be interesting to see who goes with that solid E-axle in a battery electric pickup. And it'll be really interesting to see how that compares to more conventional, I'm saying conventional, so totally unconventional for a pickup, but more conventional for an EV, the independent rear suspension, which is much more car-like in its uh, in, in engineering and, and how it works. So I'm guessing uh, whoever decides to go for that e-axle is going to want more of a sort of utility. Uh, they don't want to sacrifice any of the utility of the pickup truck um, by going for that independent suspension. So it's really interesting to see what's happening in that pickup truck space, which is like, you know, anyone who knows anything about pickup truck drivers in the US you know a lot I mean a lot of people use them they're work trucks but then a lot of people have them as kind of a leisure vehicle and they use them to tow boats and jet skis and all sorts of uh, stuff like that it's a, such a big market in the US and it's really really fantastic to see that market now going quite quickly towards electrification also back in, a, in an old podcast in episode 51 um, I talked about the emerging trend to go towards 800 volt systems uh, and since then, we've seen quite a few really interesting new vehicles come to the market with 800 volts. So again, 800 volts came in. Uh, the first sort of proper production vehicle to use it was a, the Porsche Taycan. Uh, they went to an 800 volt system. Obviously, some higher performance vehicles were up around that kind of 800 volts um, before then. So some pretty exotic stuff. So not a full battery electric, but the McLaren P1 hybrid, that's about 650 volts, which is in the kind of same territory. Um, the Rimac Concept 2 is up at the 800 volt uh, sort of level. So, you know, it's, it's only been on proper super exotic stuff. But now we've got a couple of new really interesting cars from Hyundai. 
um, which have gone for that 800 volt architecture. Now, if, if you look at EV efficiency and kind of range and performance and stuff like that, Hyundai do really, really well. So, you know, they don't make cars with huge batteries. So they don't have anything that's up, you know, with a 100 kilowatt hour battery like a Tesla or anything like that. They tend to be more uh, sort of uh, normal, uh, lower cost vehicles, more sort of typical battery size you know, 55, 65 kilowatt hours, that kind of thing. Um, maybe a little bit bigger in some of the cars. I know uh, if you're listening, shoot me down uh, exactly with the exact specifics. I'm not I'm not a super expert on Hyundai's cars, all, although I know, um, you know, they're not making huge batteries. Um, so they've got some good cars with some good batteries and their ranges are always really, really good because Hyundai have been super focused on system efficiency. So they did some clever things before other people were doing them. So they were using heat pumps in the heating system in the car to make make it more efficient and doing another another, another uh, some other things that were really, really interesting to improve the system efficiency. Obviously, all the Tesla fans would say, well, oh, Tesla are loads more efficient. But, you know, Hyundai definitely been one to watch in terms of the more conventional cars and really na- nailing it with the uh, efficiency. So it's really interesting to see Hyundai go for that 800 volts. And I can tell you that's all about driving efficiency in the vehicle. So 800 volts gives you more voltage, but that for the same amount of power, you can have a significantly lower current. Now, less current means less copper everywhere. So you can have smaller cables, smaller connectors, uh, which are obviously lighter. They can be cheaper, although they've got to be a higher specification to deal with a higher voltage. But you can also have less copper in the motor as well. So you can take weight out of that. You can get the efficiency up because the current losses are, are less. So anytime you're passing uh, current down an electrical conductor, you have what are called ohmic losses. And they are the, those losses are I squared, so the current squared times the resistance of the conductor. So if I, um, if I double the voltage, so if I go from 400 to 800 volts, I literally half the current. So the current is halved. And because the losses are proportional to current squared, that has a much bigger impact overall on the efficiency of the system. So higher voltage vehicles coming through in more conventional applications is a really, really interesting thing. And I think we're going to see much, much more of that as more EVs start to come on the market and more of them kind of start to push ahead and push ahead with the technology. So across in the commercial vehicle space, there's also been an awful lot of things happening. Now, fairly recently, there was a big change in legislation in Europe, which meant that commercial vehicle manufacturers were going to have to deliver CO2 savings in the same way that passenger car manufacturers have had to for many, many years. And basically, in the passenger car industry, you know, that led a, a move from conventional petrol engines to uh, diesel engines, common rail systems, uh, gasoline turbocharged engines, uh, direct injection uh uh, gasoline engines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, in commercial vehicles, obviously, you've already got really quite efficient turbocharged uh, diesel engines in pretty much every truck. So, the only way to get anything any more efficient there is by doing some sort of electrification. So, what you've got happening in a lot of trucks at the moment, and the new trucks coming on the market where they're doing elements of hybridization, so things they have not done before, where they're using electric drives, uh, either it's kind of like a mild hybrid system, so they're fitting bigger bigger alternators and more electrified ancillaries on the vehicle, or going for full electric drive. So we've seen uh, recently uh, product launches from lots and lots of truck makers 
um, with uh, with fully electric uh, drive systems. And of course, the more controversial of the whole lot, but we've still seen it, you know, um, recently, obviously the Nikola and everything that happened there, but you've still got Nikola and CNH, uh, so the Avico brand working together to launch fuel cell uh, trucks as well as battery electric and still companies like Daimler uh, working quite hard. So Daimler recently, like in the last week or two, was showing uh, a fuel cell truck and, and uh, talking about the performance and the things that could give you. So, you know, fuel cell systems, somewhat controversial in terms of their efficiency and, and, you know, obviously a lot more complex than a battery electric system, but allowing you to carry more energy on board and having some other advantages. I think actually, um, it's one of my pet topics, but the, a lot of the advantages of a fuel cell system actually are nothing to do with the truck itself and the energy you can carry. It's more about the infrastructure. So one of the biggest challenges is even let's say a a delivery company. So the trucks are going in and out of the same place every day, but a typical truck depot could have 100 to 200 vehicles running out of it. That would not be unusual for a haulage company. And if you've got a lot of trucks running with big batteries that need a lot of charging power, that's actually going to cause you a huge issue in terms of the grid connection. You know, we've got... um, one thing, charging cars at home, you know, one car charging at a time with seven kilowatts and you maybe need to charge it a couple of times a week. And, you know, that's fine. Obviously, there are challenges with that and the grid and infrastructure needs a bit of upgrading. But if you've got 200 trucks running out of a depot and they've got like a 500 to 600 kilowatt hour battery pack, even if you can allow them to charge overnight, that's still a huge amount of grid connection that you need to charge those vehicles. So in that case... You can fit batteries to sort of buffer the grid and do stuff there, you know, and there are lots of people doing really interesting stuff in that space. But at the same time, that's expensive and it's more battery power and and all that kind of stuff. So fuel cell vehicles allow you to kind of buffer that grid connection um, in a a much bigger way, you know, with uh, potentially lower sort of infrastructure costs and Again, the sort of jury's somewhat out on that, so um, I'm sure people will have something to say about that uh, from it. But it's really, really interesting to see all the stuff happening in the commercial vehicle space, you know. And, and some of that's driven by legislation, but the the market in general is definitely going uh, into electrification headlong. And we've got some really good uh, interviews coming up with people who are absolutely in the heart of that space, some real tech, technical experts, technology experts from from that field. So then uh, we've got lots of new investment companies. I've mentioned the huge batteries that you need in a commercial vehicle and the grid storage side of things. And actually, you know, my patch, so I get this shout out. So I know, you know, people are listening to this podcast all over the world and I see the user statistics and, you know, thank you for taking the time out. But uh, a lot of you will know I live in the northeast of England. That's why I sound a little bit unusual. So those of you who've complained about my accent or how I pronounce things in the past, it is a, I have a quite a mild regional accent from the northeast of England. But um, we are quite ahead in terms of the electric vehicle space. So, um, you know, obviously in the past have been startup companies like my own business, Avid, and then we span out the hyperdrive company. And we had Sevcon, who a lot of people know from, you know, one of the oldest electric vehicle drives manufacturers in the world going right back um, into the 1960s where they were making drives for um for milk floats but we we also had some pretty amazing engineers working in the northeast you know 100 years ago developing uh, things like steam turbines and uh, sort of high power electrical generators uh, so parsons and, and and folks like that so we've got a long in, uh, history in the region but we also had a lot of coal and uh, and coal fired power stations so it's been fantastic uh, to be able to welcome british vault to the region so they are a, a new company that have um, 
sort of come onto the scene and they plan to build a, a huge battery giga plant on the site of the former coal-fired power station, uh, which is actually in a place called Camus. Uh, so Camus is uh, it's a little bit of an unusual word, Camboise, C-A-M-B-O-I-S, but you pronounce it Camus. Um, in Northumberland. So it's the the power station that it was replacing was Blythe Power Station because it's on the River Blythe. Across the river from Camus and from the power station is the town of Blythe. But it's pretty important, particularly if you live in Camus, to not get them confused. So um, so the new Giga plant is going to be in Camus on the site of the former Blythe Power Station. And for me, you know, it's just fantastic to see that happening. I spent quite a lot of my childhood in Camus. I know that place pretty well. Uh, my family are from that area. My parents met there, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, being able to um, to see this this really positive change um, in that uh, in that area is, is just fantastic. Um, one of the reasons that the the that location was the preferred choice was because it had this huge grid connection. So I talked about the need with a commercial vehicle depot about the, the grid connection. So getting new grid connections of any sort of sizable power is really expensive and, uh, and a lengthy job. But because there'd been a power station there in the past, the power station got knocked down, uh, I think 15, 16, maybe 17 years ago. They actually left though the transformer shed uh, and there'd always been plans to develop the site and, and add kind of offshore wind turbines and such like um, where the transformer shed would be able to be a connection point into the grid. Uh, since then that's happened so there are offshore wind turbines in that area we've also got the uh, North Sea interconnector which has just started working so that's a link all the way across to Norway that can bring in um, electricity from Norway under the sea it's quite that's quite an interesting uh, infrastructure project in itself I believe it's a high voltage DC link um, rather than being an AC link which is what a lot of them are so there's a, a, a big shed right next to where the British Vault plant will be which is basically a giant DC to AC converter they're putting the power on the grid so the um, the Camus site was pretty unique in the whole country because it had the transformer shed and the energy infrastructure it also had a great road infrastructure as well because because of the history of that area with coal mining and such like, the roads and things are pretty good around there. So they weren't going to have to put in a huge amount of infrastructure. They can get up and running more quickly. And that's really, really important at the moment. We need extra capacity coming into the industry uh, to support the growth. Hot on the tails of that. So, you know, as if that wasn't enough, it's a massive uh, battery gigafactory. One of the biggest um, that's been announced so far. Uh, we also have recently had, so very, very recently, Nissan announcing mega, mega plans. So they have this thing called Vision 360, um, and along with their battery partner, AESC and Vision, they are going to build um, uh, an additional uh, battery gigafactory next to the Nissan car plant. Uh, Nissan are bringing a number of new models through that plant. So there's hybrid stuff and there's battery electric stuff. And there's a huge, huge investment going in there. Um, and it's it's really, really fascinating. I'll put some links in the show notes to the Vision 360. Um, it's a brilliant thing that Nissan are doing. Huge, huge fan. Huge, huge fan of their products. So great to see that happening. Um, but lots of negatives uh, going on at the moment as well. So obviously we've had the whole COVID situation, which has... Uh, Still hasn't left us, you know, uh, still kind of um, lots of issues going on in schools and universities and stuff with COVID. We've got a lot of problems in the supply chain, uh, which are partly COVID related, but also partly related to other things. So uh, in the press, the, you know, in, in the UK at the moment, and lots of other people are laughing at us for this, but we've got a problem with lorry drivers. Um, you know, there's fuel shortages and such like, and there's, uh, there's, there's some issues there. Now, the truck driver problem has been one that's been brewing for a long time. And uh, if, if you've ever spoken to me about, about it, you know, I, my father was a truck driver, so, you know, appreciate it. it's a really tough profession. 
it's a difficult profession. You're away from home if you're doing long haul stuff. Um, basically, they're paid terribly. Um, the the companies that run the trucks actually treat their drivers, you know, generally somewhat poorly. Um, and, and particularly in the UK, you know, a lot of other countries provide good facilities for truck drivers to park up in and get a shower and stuff like that for free. Whereas in the UK, if you've ever noticed motorway services, they've got paid quite a lot of money to stay in the motorway services. So next time you're in the motorway services, you will notice that most of the trucks that park up overnight tend to not be British trucks. And that's because the European companies give their drivers money, um, whereas a lot of the British ones don't. So it's kind of an industry problem in terms of working conditions and things like that that's been coming for a long time. But it is funny because it's in the public eye and obviously it's getting a lot of attention from the tabloid newspapers and such like. But, you know, th there are huge problems with the shortage of scientists and engineers. Like we've had massive, massive issues with the shortage of scientists and engineers for many, many years. Um, and it's one that we're really struggling to get to, to get to grips with. So, you know, everything from lorry drivers to uh, professional engineers, anything that basically, you know, it requires some qualifications, requires some skill, we've got a shortage of at the minute. And and there's, there's a few things there that are driving that. And, you know, I won't say the B word because that is part of it. But we had a shortage of engineers before, way, way, way before there. Um, I think there's a combination of, you know, in the West... In, in the Western world in general, and a lot of countries now, not, not even in the West, we've got aging populations. So, you know, all, all the baby boomers are coming uh, into their pension age. They are dropping out of the working population. Uh, so we've got, you know, despite having relatively flat populations or maybe even slightly growing, we've actually got a shrinking workforce. And that is one thing that a lot of people have missed. So the shrinking workforces that we've got um, contributing a lot to labor shortages in different areas, plus lots and lots of supply chain problems and disruption. Obviously, COVID caused a lot of technology stuff to really take off. So that's created demand, but issues shutting factories factories down and such like. And wow, it, you just, it's a perfect storm at the moment. So I think what we'll see, there's, a, there's obviously some fairly short-term things that are happening if you try to buy anything with electronics in recently, you will have found it's on a massive lead time or you can't get it at all or delivery dates are moving all over the place. Um, what we're going to see is a lot of investments in in more autonomous systems. So so that's kind of in the short term not actually going to help the problem because autonomous systems, you know, going to have uh, electronics and robotics and things like that in these things. But um, more autonomous systems in, in warehouses, so warehouse robotics, you know, there's a real political will now for stuff like self-driving trucks um, and cars to, to really get on the road. So I think you're going to see a focus and a clear political will to start pushing things like that through. Um, so, so more automation. And that could be also, you know, process automation, automation inside businesses. So we can kind of free up people to do stuff that only people can do. I think there's going to be an awful lot of investment all over the world in that sort of space. And, you know, what's great about that for people in the EV space, um, or perhaps not so great depending on your point of view, but the, the positive of that is, you know, it's the same skills, the same fundamental technologies. There's lots of opportunities in that. So robots need motors, they need power electronics, they need drives. If it's a mobile robotic system, it needs a battery pack. You know, there are lots and lots of things in that. Um, obviously, sensor systems and stuff like that. So going to be a huge amount of stuff going on with autonomous systems, I think, in the next uh, in the next few years. We will see, you know, you have things like further down the supply chain. We've got the semiconductor crisis. Um, and, you know, that's a combination, again, of a number of factors. But basically, growth in demand for semiconductors in the last few years has, has far outstripped new capacity that people have been putting in. 
And we've now got semiconductors in everything. So LED light bulbs, you know, are one really easy example that's in front of everyone. So inside that LED light, you've got LEDs, which are made in a semiconductor process. There's probably some sort of power supply type signal stuff in there. It could be a little microprocessor. You know, there's going to be quite a lot of stuff in there quite a lot of electronics content, even in a simple light bulb, you know, right up to high efficiency electric motor drive systems, uh, electric vehicles, obviously robotics, which is talked about IT equipment servers, you know, on and on and on could go on about it, but the semiconductors in absolutely everything. The demand has absolutely well and truly outstripped supply. Um, and, and what we'll see now is there will be some investments in new capacity uh, in the semiconductor world. And that's happening. And we're starting to see people kind of go to more local supply chains even. So uh, investments in in Europe. So Intel are talking about putting some um, big investments into Europe um, and others, including uh, one of the businesses that I've been working with, talking about a big investment in a semiconductor business. So there's lots of stuff going on, putting new capacity in. There's also some really interesting new technology as well coming in the semiconductor field. So um, we talk about wide band gap devices or compound semiconductors. So, you know, multi-material devices. It, I didn't really realize why a compound semiconductor, if I'm honest, was called a compound semiconductor. When I think about it, I think, duh, you were really silly. A compound, as in like lots of elements together, uh, rather than a single element. So a normal semiconductor is made out of silicon as a single element. A compound semiconductor is made out of one, you know, something like silicon carbide or gallium nitride, which is a few combined together. Hence, it's a compound. Now, it took me about three years to work that out. So hopefully, uh, someone else has has, has uh, got that. I, th- I believe they used to refer to these as multi-material in the past, but compound's a bit more of a kind of cooler sounding term for it. Now, the thing with compound semiconductors is they are really hard to make. So the manufacturing technology in them is very, very difficult. Um, the the actual product design and, and stuff like that is also very difficult. But they are, you know, super efficient, um, really, really good in energy uh, systems applications. So things like uh, drives and DC-DC converters and solid-state transformers and grid-connected uh, electronics are all going for um, for compound semiconductors because they're so much more efficient than conventional silicon devices. So, you know, because these things are so hard to make, actually far, far, far from being commodities, actually these things are really super highly specialized in both their design and the manufacture. And the new capacity for them is going to take many, many years to come through. So I think, to be fair, we're not going to see the the short-term issues that we're seeing now go away on the, semicondu- on the semiconductor side, you know, anytime soon, really. It's a space to watch very, very carefully. And if you're designing new uh, products like motor drives and things like that, the semiconductor content is something to keep a very, very close eye on. You know, you want to be thinking about the availability of components. You want to be thinking about the the, uh, the supplier, what they've got in terms of planned new capacity and what they've got in demand in, in other, uh, other applications. So there's an awful, awful lot going on in that space. Obviously, widespread adoption of technology, uh, that we've got to enhance our lives, you know, from every, every different aspect that I've been talking about. So 
you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really exciting time in that space as well. And that feeds directly in because if actually if you want to buy an EV at the minute, it's quite difficult because there isn't a lot of supply. That's partly, you know, battery supply chain issues, but mostly semiconductor issues. And that's also causing problems with conventional vehicles. So anyone who's tried to buy a car at the moment will know um, it's pretty difficult in terms of uh, getting availability of new vehicles. Um, and that's a, a lot to do with semiconductors, let alone, uh, you know, PlayStations and all that sort of stuff where they've also got issues as well. So what have I got coming for you then? So that's my kind of ramble and bamble and welcome back and uh, here I am. So hopefully uh, there are still some people listening and you haven't turned off yet. I have got some really, really good stuff coming. So I've got some amazing interviews with industry experts in motors, electronics, battery technology, and sensing systems. So some really, really good stuff coming. If you look back at the past episodes, you'll have seen uh, we've got some uh, you know fantastic people on there. Actually, because of the length of time we've been doing this, some of those have moved uh, from one role to the other. So interesting past episode, if anyone checks it out, was uh, Isabel Sheldon. So she was at the uh, UK BIC, so um, the Battery Innovation Center. She's now with the company I mentioned before, British Vault. So... Um, you know, if you want to find out some more about Isabel, have a check out of that episode. Um, we've got some more uh, interviews coming with the, those kind of industry experts. So people absolutely at the top of their game. I'm also offering a, li- a limited number of slots for uh, people to be interviewed, uh, you know, so about the work that you are doing. So if you're a small company, an SME, um, you want to get the word out about what you're doing and, you know, help to get in front of more people, uh, get in touch because uh, I'm going to be doing some episodes with uh, with people just like you. So if you want one of those slots, um, I've got uh, basically a, a number of interviews lined up over the coming months, but I have got some slots that I'm keeping open uh, for people. So if you want one of those, uh, get in touch. Um and, uh, and and we'll try and work it in. It's got to be technology and it's got to be um, at the cutting edge in the EV or the autonomous vehicle space. That's basically it. But whatever you're doing in that space will be really, really interested in hearing, uh, hearing from you. So that's it. That's all we've got time for today. Um, don't forget to uh, hit like and subscribe. Uh, make sure you get the new episodes as soon as they're they're released. It will be coming more frequently, and I'm really really sorry again for the length of t- length of time it's been um, since I last put an episode out. There's been an awful lot going on. Um, there'll be an episode, you know, maybe not, maybe every week ish, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, don't want to set any exact limits on that because I do have quite a lot of other things going on, but I'm trying to make these on a, on a fairly regular basis. We've got a few ready already to put out. Um, we've got some others uh, lined up and coming. So, so yeah, don't forget, you know, like, and subscribe and, and you'll get one. Also, you know, if you want to hit, leave me a rating or uh, or a review or a comment, you'll see um, if you're looking at this on the new eTech website, you'll see we've got uh, some amazing reviews that people have left in the past, but those reviews really help to get the podcast in front of um, some more people. So, you know, that that helps get the show out there and, and in front of some more people. So thanks again for listening. Um, I really, really look forward to talking to you again soon.